Church, go ahead and have a seat. It's good to be with you this morning. My name's Josh. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Welcome to Providence North. We're glad that you're with us. As uh, Zach mentioned earlier, we began a new series um, last week, or a new book, I should say. We started preaching through the book of Colossians, and we're going to be doing that for the next couple of months. But Sean did a great job last week really setting up the book. And he gave us some really good insight and historical perspective to why this book or why this letter was truly written to the church of Colossae back in its day. You see, the church had been planted um, by this guy named Epaphras. And Epaphras came to faith due to the preaching and teaching of Paul. And so Epaphras takes what he's learned from Paul. He takes it back to the city of Colossae and he begins planting this church with what seems like relative success. But then what begins to happen is that after the Colossians hear the gospel, after they respond to the good news with faith in Jesus Christ, they begin to get pressured from the outside. Or what others claim to be that there's more to the Christian walk or there's more to their faith than what they know or what they're experiencing. And so the church begins to believe that what they have in Christ is just not enough. In a sense, they become bored in their faith. And so I want to ask you a question this morning. When was the last time you actually remember being bored? Like, I'm talking, like, I'm not talking the boredom that we have today where we can't figure out what show to watch on what streaming platform that we have from our phones or, or TVs. I'm, I'm talking early 90s boredom, right? <laughs> early 90s boredom, riding in a car for three hours, and you just have to play the alphabet game on the signs for like three hours straight. Or the early 90s boredom when you're having to stand and wait in a line, like go through the grocery store, and you're actually, you have to either read the trashy magazines that are on there, or you have to actually talk to someone that's in front of you or behind you, right? You're in a doctor's office, like the boredom that you had there because there's no TV, no phone to occupy you, it's just boring. That's the, that's the boredom I'm talking about. I'm convinced that if I grew up in a world that we live in today, that I probably would have found myself in a lot less trouble than I did as a kid. Because as a kid in the 90s, you just had to figure it out, right? If you were bored in the 90s, your parents would say what? Just go outside. Figure out, someone said it, just go outside, figure out something to do. Well, that's what we did. That's what we did. I actually remember one time when we were so bored that we came up with this prank and we called it nickel tapping. So a little confession today. I'm going to peel a little bit of the onion off that is my life. You're going to learn more about me today. Dad, I've never shared this with you. So a little confession <laughs> this morning. But we would do this prank. We called it nickel tapping. I don't know if we were the geniuses that came up with this or someone else shared it with us. But either way, all boredom goes out the window when you, when you do this. But so what we would do as kids, we would wait till it was dark outside possibly even later um, in the night as people are starting to go to bed. And we would take three things with us, pretty simple. A nickel, a Band-Aid, and some fishing line. And what we would do is we would take that Band-Aid, we'd take one end of the Band-Aid off, and we'd place the fishing line in between the nickel and the Band-Aid. So the fishing line kind of stuck there. And then we'd take the other end of the Band-Aid, and we'd place it on the corner of a window on some unsuspecting family in the neighborhood. And we would take that fishing line, we'd stretch it all the way across the street, we'd sneak across the street, covertly, we would hide behind a car or a bush, and you just sit there, and you just tap, tap, tap. And people would come to the door, and they look outside all confused. They know there's like, I mean, and the nickel tapping on the window, it gets pretty loud. Like, you can hear it. Tap, tap, tap. They'd come outside, and after about five times, you're just driving people absolutely insane. Like, they come run, like, they wait by the door, tap, and they look out the door, and they're like, what's going on? So one night, we decide... We're going to hit up Skip's house. 
Now, Skip was an interesting character in the neighborhood. Um, he, was, he was an interesting guy. We don't go any further than that. So we decide to hit Skip's house, and we get him like five different times. He keeps opening the door, and you can see he's just getting frustrated. And I don't know what, if he chose to do this or not, but the last time we did it, we tapped, and this dude came barreling out of the house in just his whitey tidies. <laughs> He comes screaming, and he's running right at us. And I don't know if he's running. He knew if we were there or not. But there was five of us hiding behind this car, and we jet in five different directions. We're just gone. And Skip starts screaming every expletive you can imagine, like, at us as we're going away. But the, the problem that night is we were bored. We felt like we needed to add something extreme to our lives in order to live up this, like, childhood that we had. We felt like we needed to add something. There was something we need to do. We need to push ourselves to the extreme. And so, Skip, if you're listening to this podcast in Colorado, some random, I don't know how you'd get this, but I apologize. It was us. We were bored. (laughs) Today, we don't have that problem. We don't. Today, the world is pretty much accomplished removing any sense of boredom from our lives because we hate boredom, don't we? We don't want to be bored at home. We don't want to be bored at school. We don't want to be bored at church. We don't want to be bored in our faith. And the truth is we've created and found so many different things or avenues to occupy our time to eliminate boredom. And oftentimes we push those things to the extreme. Some might talk about how they've binge watched TV shows. Like, bro, check it out. I totally watched all nine seasons of Game of Thrones in a week. It was extreme. I'm exhausted, right? Or there's those out there not saying who it is, but like, dude, I'm training every week. I'm training like 14 hours a week to do this Ironman race. It's going to be, I don't know who that is. That was me. Or this, I was was poking fun at our church this week. We've done this. Some churches, they give their, their ministries like these extreme names, right? Their student ministries, just to make sure it doesn't sound boring that kids would want to come. Well, we did it too, right? Look at this, F5. All this means is Friday night for fifth graders. But it also looks like a tornado. Can you see the tornado? It looks like a tornado. It's named after the strongest tornado on the scale, right? It's amazing. It's Sean's idea. We... The graphic just makes you want to go to this because it looks so extreme. It's not boring. Like, kids want to go to this. We hate boredom. We hate boredom. (laughs) We don't want anything in our lives to be boring. And this is why this message from Paul is so important to us even today, 2,000 years later. Because we are the Colossians. We're the Colossians. We hate boredom. So again, if you missed last week, Sean shared with us that there was this group of believers in the church of Colossae that were teaching and saying that in order to truly experience the Christian life, you had to experience or do certain things to attain that next level of Christianity. They were bored. We'll call them the bored believers. All right? So these bored believers, they were bored with the truth. They were bored with the truth that at one time they were dead sinners made alive through their faith in Jesus Christ through the gospel. They wanted more than the gospel because in the end, these people had lost their joy and their salvation. So they feel like they have to add all these things to their faith. They feel like they had to add things to the gospel. And so they began going around saying, hey, if you don't like, don't, they began telling other people, don't you feel like your faith is a bit slow, maybe boring? Don't you feel like it's missing something? Don't you want to add something more extreme to your faith? And they start suggesting these new ways of knowing God and experiencing God and sacrificing for God. 
And so the church of Colossae begins to get confused. They get confused and they ask themselves, well, is this true? Is this what we need to do in order to live the true Christian life? Well, this is where Paul steps in and he says, nah, that's not what you need. You see, in verse 7, Paul says this. He says, Epaphras, we studied this last week. He says, Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Paul says, look, guys, Epaphras, this faithful minister of Christ brought the gospel to you. There's nothing he is holding back from you. He is faithful to you. He is faithful to God. You don't need anything besides Jesus. And he gave you Jesus. That's all you need. And so what we're going to see in today's passage where we're reading is how Paul is going to show Colossians. He's going to show the Colossians. He's going to show us how Christ enough, Christ alone is enough. How Christ alone is exactly what we need when it comes to our faith. That there's nothing we need to add or experience to make our faith greater and more exciting than what Christ has already given us. And so Paul's going to do that by praying a prayer for the Colossians. And this is what I love about Paul's leadership. This is what I love about Paul as a, a brother in Christ. You see, rather than beating these guys over the head and saying, dude, what are you thinking? Paul instead, he turns to prayer. You know, Paul turns to one of the most important facets of living in community. And I love this because living in community gives us the opportunity to pray for others and have others pray for you. Because when others are praying for us or vice versa, we know that we are seen by them and by God. We know that we are cared for by them and by God. We know that we are supported by them and by God. We aren't walking through whatever we have going on in our lives alone, that they're with us and God is with us. And this is why I believe that our monthly prayer gatherings that we do every month, the first Thursday of the month, except for the summertime, is so important for us as the body of Christ, so important for us as Providence North Community Church. And so if you don't have plans for the first Thursday of every month, or if you do have plans, change them, right? We need you there. I need you at this prayer gathering because I need you to pray for me. And my guess is that there's some things going on in your life that you need us to pray for you as well. So we want you there. We want you at these prayer gatherings. This next one is February 6th. It's coming up Thursday night. Is that this coming week? Next week, two Thursdays from now. There you go. Plenty of time to change your calendar. So moving on. I'm going to read this prayer to you this morning that Paul has to share. And I want to ask you this question. I want, to, I want you to think about these two questions, actually, as I'm reading this. Is this the kind of prayer that I pray for myself? Or is this the kind of thing that I pray for the people around me? All right? So ask yourself as you're reading this. All right? So let's look at what Paul prays for with the Colossians. Verse 9 and 10. He says this. And so from this day forward, we heard. Okay? From the day that we heard of your faith, love, and hope, what we read last week, Paul says, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you, we are praying that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And this is God's word. Now, if we were just to look at these two verses and try and understand in short summary what Paul is praying for, what he's basically praying for us is that we would walk with Christ. I believe that's how you could sum up this prayer. Paul is saying, I want you to walk with Jesus. 
Now, for some of us in this room, this might feel like a daunting task. It does for me oftentimes. You might feel stuck in your life, not sure how to press forward, especially when it comes to your faith or how you're living your life. And oftentimes, I find myself in the same boat. But this week, I was encouraged as I was studying for the sermon. I noticed that Paul, he gives us a pretty simple way at looking at our faith and how we should be living it out. Now, from what the way that Paul is praying, he's kind of laying out this almost circular pattern of thinking when it comes to living, in, uh, living out our faith. He starts off by talking about the knowledge of God's will. Then he talks about bearing fruit in every good work. And then he circles back to knowledge again, or knowledge of God. He's encouraging us to live in such a way that you're basically turning back into what is most important, turning back into those core values over and over and over again in order to achieve the goal, which he says is walking with Christ. And so this circular line of thinking actually reminds me of this concept that I learned a while back. Anyone read the book, Good to Great, Jim Collins? Good to Great? No? One? Good? Two? Great? All right, we got a bunch. There we go. Finally. Uh, side note, I got to serve Jim Collins breakfast for like three years in Boulder, Colorado. It was amazing. Got to know him. Really cool guy. Little, just, what do you call that? Name dropping. I got to know him. So in his book, Good to Great, Jim Collins, he talks about the flywheel concept. And it's this pretty simple concept that was used for businesses, but I'm, it's pretty relevant for us today. So I had Zach build us a graphic so that I could help you guys understand what we're talking about here. All right, here we go. So Basically, what I want you to imagine is this flywheel. It's this metal disc that's mounted horizontally on an axle. And in the middle of that, the part that's attached to the axle, you will find what is the desired outcome or the goal at the end of the day. And then coming from that goal in the middle, you're going to see three different sections from that flywheel or three different actions or values that will help you achieve the outcome laid out in the middle of that flywheel. All right? Everyone following me? See that? All right. So the goal in the middle is what? walking with Christ, or living the way of Jesus. Now, the idea of this flywheel concept is that our job is to keep turning into that flywheel, keep turning back into those three core values one by one by one in order to achieve the said outcome. There we go, walking with Christ, the way of Jesus. So that's what we're doing. Now what I want to do is I want to talk about the three sections of that flywheel. All right, three things that are going to help us achieve the main goal or the three things that Paul is praying for when it comes to the Colossians. The first section of this flywheel is this. The first thing we're going to turn into today is knowledge of God's will. Knowing what God is doing in this world and in your life and what he wants you to do or really become in response to that. So knowledge is where it all starts, right? However, this is also what the board believers of Colossae were offering. So this is where we get some confusion here. They believed that they had knowledge that they wanted others to believe in order to amplify their faith and take it to the next level. For instance, these groups, you're going to see this later on in chapter 2 of this book. These groups are offering new knowledge when it came to spiritual activities, festivals, Sabbaths, new moons. They were offering new knowledge when it came to spiritual experiences like worship of angels or detailed visions. Then finally, they were also saying that in order to be a true Christian, that you had to start practicing self-discipline or self-denial. Do not taste, do not touch, religion, asceticism, severity to the body. And so there's all these streams of knowledge, all these sources of information that are kind of streaming into the pathways of these everyday normal believers in the church of Colossae. But what Paul is going to pray for is different. Paul is praying for this, spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
All right, now that word spiritual is important. Because what Paul is saying is that it is given by the Spirit of God. It is given directly to you from God through the Holy Spirit. And that comes from the knowledge of God's will. It comes straight from the Spirit. It comes straight from God himself. And it doesn't come from anywhere else. Paul is saying that what we need is more knowledge. We need more knowledge about God. We need more knowledge about Jesus and who he is for us. Now, this is the point in the sermon where all the theology nerds, they say, Yes, that's what I'm talking about. We need to just read more stuff. We need to know more about Jesus. I've been telling you all that all along. Well, hold your horses. Paul has another word for you in just a minute. But yes, right now, Paul is talking to those that don't have a lot of desire for the knowledge of God. People that don't have any desire to read their Bibles. Unfortunately, there's some of us in this room today that they just want to come to church You just want to come have a Jesus experience. You want to hope to get that nugget of information so that maybe, just maybe, you can have a better day today than you did yesterday. There's some of you in this room that are completely reliant on the pastor to be your source of knowing God's will, whether that's here on Sunday morning or a podcast that you listen to in your car. You have 10 Bibles in your home. You have five Bible apps on your phone, and yet you you have yet to open your Bible this week or maybe even this year. Then there's others in this room that they just want to serve Jesus, right? Just want to do a lot of things for Jesus. And because there's no need to dig in the Bible to, to do things for Jesus, right? How much does it take to set up a stage or to greet someone at a door, right? We don't need the Bible for that. Well, what Paul is saying is that we need spiritual wisdom. He's praying that we have spiritual wisdom, that we desire spiritual wisdom. And he has, we have it right here. We have it in our hands today, in our phones, in our Bibles. It's given to us through the Holy Spirit. God's will is directly spelled out for us right here in his word. So we must ask ourselves this morning, if you are one of those people that haven't opened your Bibles yet this year, why so? Why haven't you taken advantage of that? The truth is, is that we need to learn how to gain knowledge and wisdom for ourselves out of God's word. It's fundamental to the Christian faith because Paul says that everything starts with knowledge. Everything starts with knowledge, but that's not where it stops. And here's where Paul starts talking to those that are all too concerned with just having knowledge. Paul says, hey, if you're just gaining knowledge just for knowledge's sake, just to feel better about yourself, or maybe because you know something more than the person sitting next to you in church, you're not helping anybody. You're not even helping yourself. Knowledge for knowledge's sake is extremely unhelpful in the kingdom of God. Because Paul says that I want you to be filled with knowledge that will transform your life. It will change the way you think, change the way you carry yourself. It will change the way you respond to others. It's a knowledge that transforms and bears fruit. And here's the second section of our flywheel. All right, so we're going to look at bearing fruit this morning. That's where all this knowledge is going to take you. When we begin turning that flywheel and focusing our efforts of knowing the will of God, then we begin to bear fruit for God. All right, so let's look at verse 9 and 10 again. It says this, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. So what is that fruit? What is that? Paul talks about it actually in Galatians 5. He says this in 522. He says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, these are the kind of things that you're going to start exhibiting in your life as you grow in the knowledge of Jesus. As you walk with Jesus, as you learn the way of Jesus through the Holy Spirit working in you. But again, for some of us in this room, we may have become inoculated to this list. We've heard it all too many times. This list is really, this list is not some list, this like theoretical list of issues that we can debate over. No, these are real life things that start popping up in your life in day-to-day situations as you bear fruit, especially when nobody would expect these things to be there. For instance, love for for people who aren't loving at all. Joy in the midst of suffering when you should just be curled up in a ball on the floor. Peace when the day-to-day grind of life is just stressful. Patience during the bath and bedtime routine. Aha! I'm saying with you, I need more knowledge of God's will because I can't stand the bath and bedtime routine. It is horrible. I, I love my kids. That's a bad time of night for me. Faithfulness. Faithfulness when nothing seems to be going the way we hope for. Self-control when the temptations of the flesh are bearing down on you from all sides. That's the type of fruit that Paul's talking about here. And here's something important for us to see this morning. You may have missed it last week, but Paul mentions bearing fruit two times in this first chapter. First, he mentions it in verse 6 when he says that the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. And then again in verse 10, he says it's the knowledge of God's will is what bearing fruit is. So what Paul seems to be encouraging us is that the way to bear fruit is to grow in the knowledge of the gospel. The way you bear fruit is to grow in the knowledge of the word. You dig into it. You come to and understand how God created the world and everything in it. You grow in your knowledge of Jesus and the way he's lived his life. You grow in your knowledge of the cross and how Jesus came to redeem the world. You grow in your knowledge of the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in you and what he's doing around you right now and what Jesus is going to do when he comes back. You grow in your knowledge. The more you know about God's will through the word of God and what he's accomplished and who he is, the more you're able to join in him in carrying out his will, partnering with him in that. Becoming more like him. And then this is where life gets really interesting. Because Paul says that when you're bearing fruit in every good work, he's saying that you will be increasing in the knowledge of the will of God. What Paul is saying is that when you bear fruit, when you partner with God for the advancement of his kingdom, when you work with God, you begin to know God more and more and more on a personal level. And so that's the third section of our flywheel this morning, and that's knowing God. The more that you turn that wheel, the more that you know the knowledge of God's will, the more that you work with God, the more you partner with God, the more you know God. So let's think about that for a moment. For those of you in the workplace, my guess is you know your coworkers pretty well. If you work side by side, if you work closely with someone, my guess is you know them pretty well, right? You know their dislikes, their likes, you know what agitates them, you know what excites them, you know what like it encourages them, you know how they respond in adversity, you get to know them on a pretty good level. It's inevitable that if you work with someone, the better you're going to get to know them. Sean and I, after eight years, know each other pretty well. When I'm upset, Sean knows right away. And he knows to just come straight at me and be like, all right, dude, what's up? What's going on? All right, I wear my emotions on my sleeve. It's pretty common. So Sean, that's easy for Sean. So, but that's how well we know each other after eight years. And this is the idea that Paul is getting at here. 
When you work side by side with God, bearing good fruit, doing good work, joining him in his mission here on earth, you really get to know him. Not just stuff about him, but you get to know him. Not just do stuff for him, but you get to know him. And so if you're just learning stuff for the sake of just knowing it, then your faith is going to be dry and academic. If you're just doing a bunch of stuff for God, then your faith is going to be exhausting and robotic. It's just going to be a set of tasks that you do out of duty without getting to know him. And so this is why God says this in Jeremiah 9.23. Super encouraging to this text today. Jeremiah 9.23, it's going to be on the screen behind me. says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. God is saying, hey, you might be wise. You know a lot about me. But the truth is, is I want you to know me. I want you to know my love. I want you to know my steadfast love. You might be strong. You might be able to do a lot for me. You might be rich. You might be able to give a lot for me, but I want you to know me. I want you to know my justice, my righteousness. And finally, the more you know me, the more you know my will. The more you know my will, you will know my character. You will know my attributes. The more you know my son, Jesus, what he did for you, the more you know me, the more you will walk with Christ. And with that, the circular line of thinking continues that Paul is talking about here. Every time we turn back into that flywheel, every time we push forward with these three things, what Paul is praying for us, he's encouraging us to do, the more we begin to walk with Christ, the more we live the way of Jesus. And it just keeps going and going and going. Knowledge of God's will, bearing good fruit, knowledge of God. Knowledge of God's will, bearing fruit, knowledge of God. Now, here's the thing. I want you to go back to that image of the flywheel. Here we go. I want you to imagine that this flywheel is massive, huge. It's heavy. It's this massive metal disc. It's 30 feet in diameter. It's two feet thick. It weighs 5,000 pounds. And your job is to turn that thing over and over and over again. And the reason I want you to imagine it like this is because this is what it feels like walking with Christ sometimes. It feels heavy. It feels burdensome. When you're walking with Christ and you're bearing good fruit and you're standing in the gap for others, it's tough. It's overwhelming. It's scary. We can't fathom how we're going to continue. And then every now and then life seems to throw a rock into the mix and it jams up that cog and that axle. And you just can't bear to move another inch. You have no idea how you're going to continue and we get stuck in the flywheel on one of those sections. And frankly, it's easy to get stuck. Oftentimes, we get stuck with just wanting to know a lot about God because it's easier that way. And so we find out a lot of stuff about God. We know a lot of information about him and we think, hey, this is what it equates to walking with Christ. Or sometimes we get stuck in just doing stuff for God and we think, hey, this is what equals knowing Christ. But the problem is, is if you stop on one of those sections of the flywheel, then life, your faith tends to get a little boring, doesn't it? Have you ever felt that way before? Have you ever felt like you've just plateaued in your relationship with God? 
Have you ever felt like your faith is just, you're just stuck and it gets boring? The reason that is, is you're stuck in one of those sections on that flywheel. You've stopped turning back into what's most important when it comes to living the way of Jesus. You might say, well, great, Josh. Thanks for letting me know. I knew that already. How am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to keep growing in my faith? How am I supposed to keep turning that wheel? Because it's a huge wheel. It's heavy. It's burdensome. It's scary. The board believers in Colossae, they believed and said that in order for you to keep turning that wheel, you needed to add more things to your life. You need to add more to your calendar, more spiritual activities, more spiritual experiences that you need to have, more spiritual sacrifices that you need to make. Just have one more experience and that'll give you the ability to turn that wheel. Just deny yourself this one thing and you can push even harder. That's going to keep you in the game. And Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not what keeps you going. Here's what keeps you going. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience and joy. Paul is saying here that the only way to keep turning that wheel over and over and over again is if we are strengthened with his power according to his glorious might. Only God can give you the power to do that. But how? How do we get that kind of power? Verse 11 again, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience and joy. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel. You get the power to turn that flywheel over and over and over again with all endurance, all patience, and all joy, even when life throws a rock into that cog and tries to stop you. Church, you have the power of the gospel in you, and you have it right now. See, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, if you've placed your faith in his saving grace, then you've been given that power freely, and it's yours to use, not because of what you've done, because of what he's done for you. That's where the power is. The entire message of the New Testament is this. You've been given everything you need in order to accomplish everything that he's asking you to do. Everything that you need in order to accomplish everything that he's asking you to do. That's the entire message of the New Testament. And through the gospel, you have been qualified. Or in other words, because of Jesus' death on the cross, your faith in him, you have been made worthy to share in the inheritance of the saints. You have eternal life, everlasting life with God forever. You have been delivered from the domain of darkness. God rescued you. He removed you from what you once called home. He's adopted you into the kingdom of his son, Jesus. You've been adopted into the family of God. And finally, you've been forgiven, redeemed, completely, permanently, forever. The charges of sin that once held against you are no longer there. They've been cast out into the depths of the sea to be completely forgotten forever. The guilt and the shame that your sin used to cause you is gone. It's never coming back. Jesus made sure of that. That's what gives you the motivation, the power, the endurance to keep turning and turning that wheel. That's what gives you the power to keep opening up your Bible every day 
day by day, even when you don't want to. Want to. That's what gives you the power to bear good fruit in every work, to partner with God for the advancement of his kingdom. That's what gives you the ability to know God, to know him on a deep and personal level. See, that strength, that endurance, that power that you have according to God's glorious might, you have the same power that God has. It's amazing. So in real life situations, in real life trials, God will give you the knowledge, the fruit, and the, and the personal intimacy that you need to deal with those things. There's no bad habit or sin that he can't break. There's no relationship that he can't heal or restore. There's no decision that he can't help you come about. There's no rebel kid that he can't restore. There's nothing through the power of God that he can't accomplish. And so Paul says, this is why I'm praying for you. Paul says, I'm praying that the power of the gospel is what keeps driving you forward, turning that wheel. I'm not praying for you to find some new way or to attain something new that you're missing. No, Paul says, I'm praying for you to love and appreciate what you already have. Look what it says. The Father has, has, the Father has qualified you. Church, that's past tense. The Father has delivered you and transferred you from the domain of darkness. That's past tense again. And finally, listen to this. You have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Present tense. It's yours right now. That's the power of the gospel. And so as you keep turning that flywheel, as you keep turning into and desiring and understanding God's will, the more you keep bearing fruit in every good work and partnering with God, the more you work with him, the more you know him. And when you do that, the more areas of your life you'll see transform. You will think and act and respond and walk with Christ more and more every day. And that is the way of Jesus. That's why Paul says, that's what I'm praying for. The question is, is that's what we pray for ourselves? Is that what we pray for the people around us? So we're going to do that this morning. But first I want to show you how important this passage is for me. Nine years ago, as I was preparing to choose one job or the other, which was to stay in my corporate job and continue to build restaurants or go into ministry, my wife wrote this down. And this was the prayer. And on the back side, it said this, Colossians 1, 9, 12. On the back side, it says, Africa. On the back side, it said Africa, because I was getting ready to go on my first mission trip. And it said Woodlands Point Community Church, which is the church I ended up going for, or Egg and I. Danielle was praying this for me nine years ago. Tuesday, she gave me this letter. I had no idea I'd be preaching this nine years later. But this is how important it is to pray for others. This is what it means to walk with others in community. And so we're going to do that this morning. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to pray for ourselves. Amen? I'm going to invite the band back up, and we're going to do that. So what I want you to do for a few minutes is, as we prepare, I want you to just clear your minds, uh, clear your hearts, okay? Whatever you have going on in your life that's distracting you, whatever that's just pulling at you from the outside, that's going to be there when we leave this room. I promise you, those, those issues are going to be there. But right now, 
I just want you to take yourself and I want you to imagine yourself just being with Jesus this morning. You're sitting alone with him this morning. Why don't you just close your eyes and imagine yourself right now with that. morning is just a conversation between you and your Savior. And so as you begin this morning, I want you to just pray and ask God that he would give you the desire for the knowledge of God's will in your own life. Pray that he would give you a delight in God's word and that you would thirst for it on a daily basis. Pray for that now. I want you to ask God to reveal to you where it is that he's asking you to bear fruit. Ask him, Jesus, where is it that you want me to bear fruit for every good work? Ask him specifically, what is that? What am I supposed to do to be serving you, God? Let's pray for a deep and real relationship with Jesus. Tell Jesus, I want a relationship with you that's transparent, that's honest, that's vulnerable. I want you to know exactly who I am. 
I want to confess who I am. I need that person in my life. You can tell that to Jesus. Pray for a connection with him like you've never had before. church, I want to pray much like Paul is praying for Colossians, like he's praying for us, pray for others around us, pray for your church body, pray for those that are in this room today, those that are not in this room today, those that are serving in the children's ministry, pray for the children that are back there, let's pray that they would desire everyone in this room, in our church, in our church family, that they would desire the will of God in their lives, that they would bear fruit and ultimately that they would know God deeply and intimately. Let's pray for others now. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the truth that is declared in your scriptures. We thank you for what seems like the simplicity of faith, that the knowledge of your will bearing fruit for you and knowing you is what we need for our Christian walk, what we need for our Christian life, what we need to just be with you, to walk the way of Jesus. So God, I, I pray that we would be a people of, of that, that we, would be, that we would be a people that would desire to be in your word, that we wouldn't neglect what we have in our homes, what we have on our phones, that we would open up the word of God daily, that we would want to understand it, we would want to know your will, And in doing so, we would turn, in turn bear good fruit in every good work. That we would look outside of ourselves. That we would find opportunities to serve you for the advancement of your kingdom. That we would declare the gospel with those that we work with, those in our homes, our friends, our family, on our neighborhood streets. That we would live a life that declares Jesus is my savior. God, ultimately, I pray that we would be a people that know you, that know you deeply on a personal level. 
that don't just come to you when we're in need, but God, that we know you at all times in our life because we know that you're working all things out for our good and for your glory. And so God, we pray for these things this morning. It's your son's name, amen. Church, let's stand and continue to worship.